Welcome to Concord Matters, a show seeking for concord, agreement in Christian confession. Concord mattered to Jesus and Paul, and so it does to us also. Spend these next 60 minutes as we talk matters of Concord. Concord Matters, a program produced by the Christ-centered leader in confessional broadcasting, Worldwide KFUO, online at kfuo.org. Welcome to Concord Matters this week on KFUAM Radio, the messenger of the good news. Uh, I'm this week's host, Pastor Joshua Shear, Senior Pastor of our Savior Lutheran Church here in Cheyenne, Wyoming, coming to you remotely uh, from Cheyenne. And uh, glad to introduce the show today, Concord Matters. Don't forget the S at the end of matter. Uh, we wouldn't want to be tied to those progressive liberal uh, political movements of our day. Uh, that use that whole matter language uh, and so forth. So we want to definitely stay clear of that. But here we are about Concord. We're about the unity of the faith and uh, what that happens when, when Christians agree on pure doctrine. And especially, of course, as we find that pure doctrine confessed purely in the book of Concord of 1580, as we have it in Concordia, the Reader's Edition from Concordia Publishing House. Uh, it's... Uh, it's a great, uh, great day to hear and talk about the faith. All right, so I think I've got some uh, guests today. Uh, I'm getting little messages on the back channels here that they are hearing elevator music, but uh, I'm pretty sure I'm not singing elevator music, so I'm not sure what's going on there. But I'll introduce them anyways. Uh, our first two guests today, uh, Pastor Mike Grevy, who's pastor of Holy Cross Lutheran Church in Golden, Illinois. Uh, pastor Grevy, are you there today? I am here, and now uh, now loud and clear. Hey, all right. Good deal. Technology caught up with us. That's good. <laughs> and then Pastor Dan Hinton, who's pastor of Christ Lutheran Church in Lubbock, Texas. Uh, how's things going down there in Tejas? They're doing very well, thank you. All right. So, uh, again, this is this is Concord Matters with an S. We don't want to be confused with those, those progressive and liberal uh, political movements. But we are going through the book of Concord. Um, here we are. Uh, we left off last week. Pastor Hendrickson left off with the apology. We're in Article 27, uh, rebuking the whole idea of monastic vows, monasticism, uh, this idea that, oh, if you uh, step away from the world and all the vocations that God gives you and live this life of these kind of certain virtues that you'll be holier than the rest and, in fact, gain this per perfection that will not only have perfection but surplus so that way others can pray to you as well, and you can give out merit to them as well. So we're talking about this, Article 27, the Augsburg, uh, the Apology of the Augsburg Confession. Um, Pastor Anderson left off last week with paragraph 34, so we'll pick up in paragraph 35. All right. We speak more briefly here about these subjects, because from what we have said before about justification, repentance, and human traditions, it is clear that monastic vows are not rewarded with the forgiveness of sins and eternal life. Since Christ calls traditions useless services, they are in no way evangelical perfection. All right, let's unpack a couple terms here. Human traditions. Uh, traditions are good, aren't they, Pastor Hinton? Yes, human traditions are good. We are not opposed to, tra to tradition. 
All right. So what is what is this talking about here, Pastor Grevy? Uh, Christ calls traditions useless services. What kind of traditions is Christ condemning here? These would be any traditions that are set up in opposition to uh, his traditions or his commandments, if you want to put it that way. So, uh, for example, you have the example in the Gospel of Matthew where Jesus um, criticizes and condemns the Pharisees because they have set up their own tradition uh, in contradiction and in, and instead of the fourth commandment, which is the commandment he used uh, as the example there, Jesus used, you should honor your father and your mother. And the Pharisees had set up a different tradition to go against that command, and so they were overthrowing God's word because of their tradition. And so these are the traditions that Christ, or that the confessions are speaking of here uh, as well. They are, they are useless services if they are placed over and against God's Word, or even on an equal, uh, equal level of God's Word. Yeah, okay. Well, I'm glad you explained that, because I know some churches out there that have done this whole like contemporary versus traditional thing, thinking that traditional is old and stodgy and shouldn't be used. Of course, they ignore what the confessions are saying here and elsewhere. Uh, but uh, here you have it. Traditions are good, but they aren't good when all of a sudden you require them uh, to be part of the forgiveness of sins, that this somehow this tradition would earn you forgiveness. Well, that's not what we're talking about when we talk about liturgy and so forth. It's... That's a totally different thing. We're talking here about this monastic vows, which was a human tradition, taught that, uh, well, if you if you you know leave these other areas of life behind and you do these other things, you will indeed be earning the forgiveness of sins. And so, uh, yeah, so that's what we're talking about here. They are in no way evangelical perfection. Um, Pastor Hinton, do you want to just touch upon what what are they talking about? This evangelical perfection. Well, how how are we to be made perfect? How are we to, to, to be considered just and righteous before God? Uh, St. James talks about the perfect man is able to tame his tongue. Who is that? Uh, well, where does our righteousness come from? This strikes right at the heart of what the whole Reformation is about. Does righteousness before God that avails as salvation come from our works, or does it come from faith? And the Bible could not possibly be any clearer about this that, that our righteousness comes from faith in God alone. Abraham believed God, and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. Moses writes that in Genesis 15. Uh, St. Paul repeats it again at the beginning of Romans. And, and this, this, that, that verse is, is one that Christians really ought to commit to memory, because it, it, it kind of keeps us from getting stuck in the thorns when it comes to what, what is righteousness and really what the entire Christian religion is all about. So the thing is, these... These traditions, as I said before, the, the traditions themselves are good. We're not opposed to tradition. That would be very easy. Just, just do what the radical reformers did, do what guys like Karlstadt did. Just anything that smells like it might have been Catholic, just throw it out. So all that stuff that, that looks like it might be old, you know, the candles. and the Candles were actually kind of a big deal in the Reformation. Uh, they're not as much anymore. But get rid of the stained glass, get rid of the statuary, get rid of the incense, get rid of the chanting, get rid of the... The, um, the ancient lectionary, I mean, all of these things that really define the, the ancient church. That's what the radical reformers did, but we were always very cautious, we Lutherans, not to go that route, but rather to, to only do away with traditions that either were, uh, were frivolous or didn't teach the faith, that taught against the faith, 
and and all, and also any understanding whatsoever that these traditions are a mandated of God and b are salvific in nature. Evangelical perfection is perfection that comes only through the gospel. That is that's what the word evangelical means. That perfection is not a perfection that comes from ourselves. This is the righteousness that is higher than that of the scribes and the Pharisees that comes only as a gift, only uh, by, by the means appointed by, by God, the means of grace, only by the word and the sacraments, and, and, and received by faith. Yeah, it's it's amazing. You mentioned the the one year lectionary, the historic ancient lectionary that was thrown out by the radical reformers, um, and sadly, a bunch of other folks have jumped uh, over the over the cliff with them. Uh, but this last Sunday, um, uh, Sexagesima Sunday, sixty days to Easter, uh, you know, Latin language we still use it every once in a while. It's great, and uh, the lesson from Luke chapter eight, the parable of the sower. Jesus, you know, talks about how one of the seeds, they, they don't even, when the, the, along the roadside, they, they, they hear the word, but before they can believe and be saved, the, the devil uh, takes the word away from them. And it's, it, you know, when Jesus just says that, and believe and be saved, it's like, whoa, wait a second, did Jesus just reaffirm that you, you believe and are saved? You know, just little quips throughout the whole of the scriptures that, that are just all over there. I mean, you have the explicit references in Ephesians 2 and so forth, but elsewhere in scripture, it's just littered all over about how salvation comes by faith alone, not by these works. And and so it just pops up all over the place. Uh, for instance, like I said, in this one-year lectionary, it pops up over and over again as you learn the doctrine through the church here. And that's, uh, that's a very good thing. Let's move on to paragraph 36 and 37. The adversaries deceitfully wish to appear as if they modify the common opinion about perfection. They said that a monastic life is not perfection, that it is a state in which one acquires perfection. What a pretty phrase. We remember that this change is found in Gerson. Clearly, level-headed people, although they did not risk removing monastic life from being praised as perfection, were offended by his excessive praise. So they made the change that monasticism is a state in which one acquires perfection. If we follow this logic monasticism will be no more a state of perfection than the life of a farmer or mechanic. For these are also states in which one acquires perfection. All people in every vocation should seek perfection, that is, grow in the fear of God, in faith, in love toward one's neighbor, and similar spiritual virtues. All right, so here we have the Reformers' own definition of this perfection. It has to do with the fear of God, faith, love towards the neighbor, similar spiritual virtues, of course, taking a very wide view of perfection there to include uh, the works which happen after we are saved, after we are justified, and so forth, that God would bring through us as well. Uh, what's this talking about, Pastor Grieve, this, this pretty phrase, this change that they occur, that it's not about perfection, it's about uh, being able to acquire perfection. Is this just wordplay? It is wordplay. Uh, that that's true. Uh, it's, uh, however, it's a wordplay by which they just shift the meaning to another part of the problem. So, in other words, um, the monastic life is not perfection. But once you get into the monastic life, then you can acquire the perfection once you're there. So, uh, it's it's just. It's just uh, putting the perfection on the other side of entering the, the life of monasticism, which really, in the end, doesn't change the, the, the meaning of the thing. 
it's still uh, being taught as if you can acquire a state of perfection through monasticism. So um, we might think of this, I mean, if you just, um, if we just thought about this in terms of uh, grace, uh, if we say that we're in a state of grace, we need to define what that means, because um, we can be in a state of grace, but uh, we also believe, teach, and confess that we're not once saved, always saved. We can fall from grace. Uh, we can fall away, and we can apostatize from the faith. So, um, but they're simply saying that, uh, you know, just get into monasticism, and once you get there, then you can acquire this perfection once in it. It's just a, it's just shadowy language by which they shift uh, the perfection to the after-the-fact kind of thing, uh, being, in, being in the monasticism, and then you, once you get there, you get the perfection. But it still militates against uh, the fear of God, uh, faith, uh, love towards one's neighbor, and other similar spiritual virtues. It still works righteousness. Well, and it, it still militates against, you know, love towards one's neighbor because it's, of course, self-chosen uh, works rather than, you know, those which you find yourself that God puts you into, like fathers, mothers, sons, daughters, workers, these Exactly. Kind of it's not good works defined by the Ten Commandments and our vocations. It's it's good works uh, defined by the self, self-chosen, yeah. right? Exactly. This is, this is the same kind of attitude you still run into because, you know, you have the, the Council of Trent happens after... Uh, much of the Reformation, you know, Luther dies, and then the Council of Trent convenes, and and uh, then you read the the declarations of the Council of Trent, and they're very black and white, and you know, it's like wow. And then you talk to somebody today, after the several other councils that have happened since then, about Roman Catholic doctrine, and and they have all kinds of new ways of trying to describe things, and and almost like explain away Trent and so forth. It's just the same kind of wordplay attitude exists, and of course. This is what happens when you as a church think that you get to rule over God's word and you get to describe what it actually says. Um, and, that, and that's the danger for any church body that wants to try to be judge over the word of God is that, uh, yeah, you're going to have to play a lot of word games. And uh, that's something that every church should caution themselves against and, and be on guard against as well. So, Pastor Hinton, this uh, <clears throat> fear of God, faith, love, Similar spiritual virtues. What's that all about? Well, he, he says here that that uh, if if we follow the 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 opinions of of the opponents of the papists, monasticism will be no more state of perfection than the life of a farmer or mechanic. For these are all also states in which to acquire perfection. Then it says, for all men in every vocation ought to seek perfection, that is, to grow in the fear of God, in faith, in love toward one's neighbor, and similar spiritual virtues. So what, what we're saying here is that there, there's opportunity to grow in the fear of God, there's opportunity to believe, for one's faith to exercise itself in a life of good works, to grow in love towards one neighbor, one's neighbor, to grow in the virtues. In, in any any sphere of life now I mean maybe not exactly every sphere of life I suppose if, if you're you're living that you've chosen for yourself is to be a hitman for the mafia uh, probably probably we wouldn't talk in terms like that but that's not really what we're talking about here it's it's the yeah, distinction I'm pretty between, sure that's not a that's not a god-given vocation I'm pretty not sure, a god-given so. vocation no you know vocations are given by God but we have this this really underappreciated part of the small catechism called the Table of Duties, 
And in the table of duties, we find all of these wonderful vocations. We have bishops and pastors and preachers and the hearers and civil government and citizens, husbands, wives, parents, workers of all kinds, employers and supervisors, youth, widows, and everyone. So there, the, God's Word has, has something to say to all of us in, in all kinds of various callings in life, whether you are part of the clerical order, whether you are a, a monk, whether you are um, a, a layman, whether you're a father, that, that you have opportunity to grow in in, in faith and, and to actually live out the good works that are prepared for you, as we, as we say in, in, uh, from, from Ephesians 2.10. The thing of it is, is that the attitude of the papists was not, was not that this was the case, that they, they, they ascribed certain, certain areas of life, certain callings to be higher than others. Now, what we find out is that they end up kind of moderating the language somewhat to make it seem like it, they don't, they're not really teaching what they teach. But in practice, as, as we're going to find out in the upcoming uh, paragraphs, they, they very much do end up believing this because their actions end up speaking much louder than their words. This whole concept of wordplay is, is a large part of the criticism of, of the Lutherans against what the papists were doing in the Counter-Reformation in Trent, which is to try to move words around, redefine them, play with them in order to exonerate them from the true charges that the Reformation leveled at them. Yeah, I think I, I've seen this at different times, too. I've seen things that are essentially wordplay um, where, you know, you'll, you'll get a bunch of scripture passages and, and maybe some really good passages from, like, Lutheran confessions or something like that. And then you'll get this whole section of, like, wordplay where it's like, you know, this is what we really want to do, and, and we know it's kind of against what scripture and the confessions just said, but we're... We're gonna go about, uh, we're gonna go about, uh, you know, trying to explain this away, but make it look really pious that we are doing this. And I think that's exactly what you get here um, in this. But it's it's a temptation that's across uh, different denominations and different things as well. With that, let's move into uh, paragraphs 38 and 39 here. In the accounts of the hermits, there are stories of Anthony and others that make the various stations in life equal. It is written that when Anthony asked God to show him how he was progressing in this kind of life, he was shown in a dream a certain shoemaker in the city of Alexandria for comparison. The next day Anthony came into the city and went to the shoemaker to determine his exercises and gifts, and he spoke with the man. He heard nothing except the early in the morning the shoemaker prayed a few words for the entire state and then worked his trade. Here Anthony learned that justification is not to be assigned to the kind of life that he had entered. Although the adversaries now lessen their praises about perfection, they actually think otherwise. They sell and apply merits to others under the appearance that they are obeying basic rules and counsels. So they actually maintain that they possess surplus merits. What is this other than assuming perfection to oneself? The confutation states that the monks try hard to live more closely in line with the gospel. So it assigns perfection to human traditions if they are living more clearly in line with the gospel by not having property, being unmarried, and obeying the monastic rule regarding clothing, meats, and similar silly things. All right, so first of all, if you do a search on Google for, uh, for Anthony and Shoemaker, you'll find out there is an Anthony Shoemaker and he sells insurance. Uh, so just to, just to let you know that. Uh, Good to know. <laughs> but if you do look it up in the lives of the fathers, you'll find that this uh, this Saint Anthony is is one of the uh, the early. He's sometimes called the father of monasticism, and so it's interesting that the Lutherans go back to go back to the guy that was like the start of a lot of this. 
And they, they bring up an even example from his life where all of a sudden he learned, huh, well, even the shoemaker is, is proceeding, progressing in his way of life. Um, that, he, that he learned that justification is not to be assigned to the kind of life that he had entered. Uh, that, you know, this, his, his self-chosen work of, of leaving and deserting to the desert and being a hermit and so forth, uh, yep, that's, that's not exactly where it's at. So, uh, yeah, Pastor Grevy, you have some comments about here about Anthony, uh, uh, not the insurance salesman, but the actual monk. Right, right. Yes, uh, well, you know, this, um, the problem with the monastic way of life, as we've talked about, alluded to already, the, the denial of living one's life in accordance with the Ten Commandments and the vocations to which we are called, is that it, it also just very clearly uh, militates against uh, living in communities, even. I mean, it's almost like um, we would kind of, we might use the phrase today, it's like trying to go off the grid. Uh, you try to, you, you make yourself a recluse, and you hide out, and you believe that uh, by your hiding out, you're kind of pulling yourself out of the life of the world. Um, but the problem is that we as Christians have been called to live in the world, we haven't been called to leave it, and uh, we're, we're certainly called not to be of it. That is to say, we are not to be, um, we are not to believe what the world believes and to live how the world lives, but we, we need to live in the world. Uh, Christians have duties in the world not uh, to separate themselves from it and to be reclusive and, or to be a hermit and so forth. And so I'm glad that, um, that Anthony learned from that, that justification is not to be assigned to the kind of life that he had entered. Uh, that's a good thing. And we would have no problem uh, with the statement on its face that we want to live more closely in line with the gospel. Uh, but the problem is we don't achieve that uh, by these kind of uh, monastic works and exercises. We achieve it by fearing God and clinging to Christ, and he's the object of our faith and a life of repentance lived within our vocations and uh, in accordance with God's Word as contained in the Ten Commandments. Yeah, I mean, in fact, narrowly, if you want to go real strict and narrow on it, I mean, the Gospel has nothing to do with our work. It has to do with Christ and His work. So living in line with the yeah. Gospel, I guess, would be living uh, with with Christ's work in your mind and your heart. You know, that's that's always there, and that's good. Um so you, you touched upon it really well, um, because there are people who would look at people who go off the grid as being like, you know, oh, wow, look at the virtue of that person for being able to do that, you know. Um, you know, we see this all the time, this idea of self-chosen things that the, that the, the world and even the church sometimes holds up uh, over and against other stuff. I mean, you, you see this nowadays in, in uh, that one station of life is held up higher than others, and so you see these reactions in our culture to try to to re recreate these things so like you know men's roles were viewed as higher than women's roles and so now we got to try to put women in men's roles and 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 it's just like whoa whoa you just totally destroyed women's roles i mean god has roles for each sex god has role for each 
you know, vocation. Uh, it, and of course, humanity is constantly messing this this whole idea up of vocations and and where your place in this life really is, where God would have you do good works, uh, where uh, He would have you best serve uh, your your neighbor, and all these wonderful wonderful things. We are coming up here on a hard break, and we will gather with this uh, with this discussion about vocations, especially the idea of culture and the world, and even the church sometimes trying to make one vocation higher than the others and try to correct it and, and just utter, utterly making a mess of it. Um, we'll, we'll cover that when we get back here after a little break. But you're listening to Concord Matters here on KFUAM Radio, the messenger of the good news. We're talking monastic vows, but of course it's not something trapped away in these, these monasteries. This is something that comes out of the human heart. And so we're going to find it all over in our day-to-day lives and in our churches as well. So this area of our confessions is very helpful for helping us kind of understand what's going on and understand the main points and priorities we should have as Christians. We'll be right back after a break here on KFUM Radio. Is Scientology a religion? Is it a cult? What role do L. Ron Hubbard's writings, films, and lectures play in Scientology? What is the object of a Scientologist's faith? And what does Scientology do with Jesus? Tuesday on Issues Etc., we'll discuss the beliefs and practices of the Church of Scientology with Dr. Jeff Mallinson. Issues Etc., live weekday afternoons from 3 to 5 on KFUO. This is the day which the Lord has made. For the lonely and homebound, for the grieving and dying, and for all those who are afflicted in body, mind, and spirit, especially for me. Join us for a live broadcast of Chapel at the LCMS International Center weekdays at 10 a.m. on KFUO. Hi, this is Pastor Mark Azil, the LCMS Director of Campus Ministry and the Chancellor of LCMSU, inviting you to join us right here on Wednesdays at 2 p.m. in the Student Union. If you can't make it, Student Union is always available as a podcast at kfuo.org. Learn more about LCMSU at lcmsu.org. And remember, college is tough. You need Jesus. We'll help. Wednesday afternoon at 2 on KFUO. Did you know that your individual retirement account may make the best gift to KFUO? The IRS now allows individuals 70 and a half or older to transfer their required minimum distribution directly to charity and avoid paying the associated income tax. These gifts can provide regular long-term resources to KFUO. If you have questions about making an IRA gift to KFUO, call me, Mary, at 314-996-1518. We'll send a representative out to help answer your questions and help you establish a legacy of giving to your favorite radio station, Worldwide KFUO. The online Bible platform, uversion.com, released its annual reports on Bible usage statistics and trends. In 2018, Bible engagement on the site increased by 60% in Argentina, Indonesia, and the Netherlands, and it doubled in Japan and Romania. The Uversion online community read more than 27 billion chapters of the Bible and listened to another 4.2 billion chapters. The website also observed a 59% increase in the number of Bible plan days completed. 
The Bible verse most shared, bookmarked, and highlighted was Isaiah 41.10. Don't be afraid, for I am with you. Don't be discouraged, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will hold you up with my victorious right hand. Engage with the Bible and its expanding impact around the world. Brought to you by Museum of the Bible in Washington, D.C. Welcome back to Concord Matters here on KFUO AM Radio, the messenger of good news. I'm your host this week, Pastor Joshua Shear, coming to you from Cheyenne, Wyoming. My two guests are Pastor Mike Grevy of Golden, Illinois, and Pastor Dan Hinton of Lubbock, Texas. We've been discussing Apology of the Augsburg Confession, Article 27. We're just still discussing a little bit about uh, paragraphs uh, 38 and 39. It ties in a little bit before that as well. It's talking about how... Roman Catholic monasticism kind of sets up one vocation as higher than the others, uh, more respected, um, that that so forth, which, of course, then and we were talking about how the culture today still resembles us, and even in the church, that there are certain things that we're going out of our way to make sure that we kind of virtue signal on, and in the process, we're, we're denigrating the actual God-given vocations, and all the while trying to puff up a fake kind of man-made thing, um, you know, we were talking about male and female, how there were differences in the sexes and different roles are given to each, and yet how even in the church there's confusion about what these roles should be and, and how we're trying to take one and get to the other, and, and just a nasty, nasty mess that you end up with. Um, you know, here, here you see it even in, in paragraph 36 I was looking through during the break. You know, clearly level-headed people, although they did not risk removing monastic life from being praised as perfection, were offended by its excessive praise. Uh, you know, so there you have the kind of reactive, uh, reactive thing, but also, you know, did not risk removing monastic life. So, you know, the thing would be is, of course, do we, do we have ways of life now that are, boy, we wouldn't risk, dare talking against them or speaking against them. Uh, even though we know that, you know, there, there, there's nothing particularly holy about that way of life. And that and that happens out there um, very, very commonly where these certain stations in life are lifted way higher than what uh, Scripture would put them. Um, so, Pastor Hinton, I mean, do you have any comments about this kind of behavior of our culture? But then, you know, because the church keeps falling in love with the world, we, we end up with the culture in the, in the church and, and doing the same things as the world around us. Do you have anything to say about that? So how about those preachers who go out there and they make a name for themselves, but nobody ever called them to do what they do? Yeah. Right? And you, but, but what I they're mean, saying is, is, is really good, though. I mean, shouldn't, shouldn't we just go with what they're saying? Right, exactly. <laughs> well, I mean, you could judge them on that, count, on that count, too, but I don't think they'd fare very well. It's almost Usually like not. the two go hand in hand. You know, false understanding of vocation, false doctrine from the pulpit. Funny how that works. But but the the world, I mean, it's it's no surprise to us who, who study the world and study the Word of God. It's, it's no surprise to us to find that the world and the Word of God are, are speaking vastly differently. But here, it, it's, it's, it's worlds apart. Um, what the world sees as a good godly vocation and... Uh, and, and, and what, what the Word of God says and, and what we Christians are to regard as being uh, godly vocations. I, I'm, I'm often reminded when we talk of, of vocation about a character in the Dickens uh, work, Bleak House, named uh, Mrs. Jellybee. 
she's a she's a philanthropical t- sort. She likes to do uh, she she likes to try to to do these great grandiose good works that are that are very big, uh, very kind of big idea things. And she's trying to set up this this thing in Africa, and and she's so single minded on this, trying to get all this money together for this project she's working on in Africa, that she doesn't she doesn't take care of her own home. She doesn't take care of her husband. She, her her kids they're 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 messy and they're they're not they're not. They're not bathed, they're not fed, and they're constantly tugging on her to, to get her attention. And she's neglecting them because she's, she's chosen for herself this, this supposed good work of setting up this project in Africa. And, and, and Dickens, who is not a Lutheran, he, that's a fantastic uh, look at, at, at what, what good works really ought to look like because she didn't choose the good work of taking care of, of her home, her husband, and her children – God presented those to her by virtue of placing her into those estates. You know, the the, the, the godly mother who is at home, uh, no one sings her praise, least of all probably, you know, those closest to her. When she changes a diaper for the thousandth time this month, uh, no one gives her a medal or an award. No one thanks her for it. Even the one being changed usually doesn't. Is it a good work? You bet it is. Because that's that's a real life flesh and blood neighbor. I mean, as neighborly as it gets, right there next to her, you know, the the the, the babe in arms or the toddler that that needs the attention right away, or even the older child who needs to be trained in the fear and admonition of the Lord and to learn how to read and write and do math and those sorts of things. Um, there are real flesh and blood neighbors who who desperately need uh, that mother's good works, or, or or we fathers, you know. What, do, do we walk around going, I wonder what I'm supposed to do, to do today? No. We wake up, and there's our wife, and there's our children, and we have a job to go to, and those are our good works. No one's going to give us medals for these things. The world's not going to sing our praises for them. But, but that's exactly the nature of Christian vocation, that they're not typically the big do-a-good-turn-daily, big over you know these overwrought good works that require a lot of strategic planning and, and, and these, these great big gestures. Sometimes they're extremely ordinary things that, that most people don't even think about doing because they, they just come so naturally. Those are the good works that, that please God because they're done in faith, and they're done uh, for the service of the neighbor. They actually benefit our real-life neighbors. I, I think you, you touched upon something maybe indirectly, is that when you do these self-chosen works, these self-chosen ministries or whatever you want to call them, they're the ones that like really need the PR, you know, the, the, we're going to we're going to prove to you how important we are because we're going to send you so many glossy, you know, full color uh, flyers about it. And we're going to make sure we sing our praises more and more and more. And, and I think that's I mean, exactly what you're talking about is just we're going to come up with all kinds of extra ceremonies just just to really show how how special this this one really is. And uh, so you don't need a Facebook page with my regular updates of what I'm doing to a study the Word of God every five minutes, or, or, or my wife to show that she's cooking lunch? I, I don't. Uh, wow. Nope, nope. I'm sure the NSA's got that all figured out, though, so we, we'll just leave that to them. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so we'll just leave that to them. But you, you just... You, each one of us has this temptation inside of us, you know, the stuff God wants us to do, that's boring, and that's normal, and that's ordinary, and, and that's work. I mean, it, it's like self-killing work, um, you know, and, and of course, if I pick something myself, I'm going to enjoy it. It's going to be something I'm going to get something out of. Uh, it's something that, you know, it, it won't be too hard on me because I don't want to suffer. 
Uh, and, and so this is just a huge difference. And, of course, this is, uh, this is something that's very clear also in our confessions and so forth about monasticism is that you know, we're going to get to these sections, and in, in maybe not even today, but they'll have to get to them next week. But uh, there's sections that are talking about how, how lazy and the rich life was, the monastic life, and how, you know, if you were the firstborn son, yeah, you'd get the household you'd get the inheritance. But if you're the second-born son, you, you had really two options, and that is go make a name for yourself in the military or go make a name for yourself by becoming a monk. You know, And that's how you had your life of ease and riches is, is by becoming a monk. And so it's just self-chosen uh, nonsense, garbage. Uh, get rid of it. It's, it's not befitting a Christian. And so the same thing goes for the stuff we'd like to cook up. It's just It's extra. Get rid of it. It's not worth it. Um, doesn't have God's command attached to it. All right, let's let's go on here. Um, we got to uh, paragraph forty through forty-two. The confutation also says that the monks merit eternal life more abundantly and quotes scripture. Everyone who has left houses and so on. Matthew nineteen twenty-nine. So here it claims perfection also for man-made religious rites, but this scripture passage in no way favors monastic life. Christ does not mean that leaving parents, wife, and siblings is a work that must be done because it merits the forgiveness of sins and eternal life. Indeed, such a leaving is cursed. Anyone who leaves parents or wife to merit the forgiveness of sins or eternal life by this work dishonors Christ. There are two kinds of leaving. One happens without a call, without God's command, which Christ does not approve. The works we choose are useless services. When Christ speaks about leaving wife and children, it becomes clear that he does not approve this kind of leaving. We know that God's commandment forbids leaving wife and children. God's command to leave is different. That is, when power or tyranny pushes us either to leave or to deny the gospel. Here we are commanded to bear injury and should rather allow not only wealth, wife and children, but life to be taken from us. Christ approves of this kind of leaving, and so he adds for the gospel's sake. He does so to illustrate that he is speaking not of those who injure wife and children, but who bear injury because of the confession of the gospel. For the gospel's sake, we should even leave our body. Here it would be ridiculous to hold that it would serve God to kill oneself and to leave the body without God's command. So too... It is ridiculous to hold that it is a service to God without his command to leave possessions, friends, wife, and children. Pastor Grevy, we talk about this in the Lord's Prayer when we teach this to the catechumens, now that daily bread includes all these good earthly gifts. And I think that's kind of what this apology is starting to touch upon, is that you know, by, by turning our back on these daily gifts, and trying to, even worse than that, try to like sanctify it, try to make it a holy work. Um, it's just, just a curse. It's just a, a total dishonoring of Christ. Uh, what, what would you have to say about these verses or these, these paragraphs? Well, it's stated very clearly that this becomes an abomination to God because uh, these things are that the confessions speak of are suffered for the sake of the gospel, that is, those things to which we are called by God. So when one suffers, uh, this is what commends him to God, not because of the suffering in and of itself, but because he is suffering in the place where God put him. 
So this is to what we are called. So if you're a father, a mother, a son, a daughter, um, a, a wife, a mother, uh, a worker of any kind, these are the vocations to which we're called, and we're going to suffer things in those as Christians. And the call is not to flee uh, from those vocations and to choose other ones or choose, you know, running away or choose uh, self-appointed vows or things like that, uh, but rather to uh, bear it and live under the cross and suffer. And um, this is what, uh, again, this commends us to God because it's for the sake of the gospel. That's It's for the gospel's sake. And so it's not a, this is what is in direct line with what God commands, uh, not contrary to what God commands, which is what was referred to earlier, uh, but cited, um, Matthew 15, 9 there was cited in paragraph 41, which uh, is the section where uh, Jesus spoke to the Pharisees about their hypocrisy, uh, the fact that they were pretending that they were commended to God because of their tradition, uh, but the problem with their tradition was that it transgressed the fourth commandment. It overthrew the commandment of God, their tradition did, and so therefore they were hypocrites, and uh, Isaiah's prophecy about them was true. Uh, they drew near to Christ with lips and mouth, uh, but their heart was far from him. They were, uh, in fact, worshiping him in vain. Uh, their worship was vanity. And that's what these paragraphs are getting at, too. Any kind of this, this self-chosen monastic life and uh, choosing self-chosen works are really nothing other than vain worship of God, which God does not accept. It is unacceptable to God, uh, and he, he rejects it. He categorically what? rejects it. I know this. This is kind of a, a, a crass example, but I, I remember on the news news byline that they did right before the show. You know, they were talking about a a couple of boys that are running track up in Connecticut, New Hampshire, whatever. I don't remember the state, but that they're 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 leading the track. I mean, they're leading the pace. They're setting records. They're. I mean, this is the absurdity of it, right? It's just this kind of. It's it's absurd when somebody tries to step outside of where God put them and puts themselves in some place they want to be. It is absurd sounding, like the absurdity of having you know boys pretending to be girls and running in a track. It's just silly. Uh, it's the same we hear, of course. They they say that you know it would be ridiculous to hold that it would serve God to kill oneself. Uh, you know, again, this is I I don't remember which one of you. I think it was Pastor Hinton talked about you know the 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 God given vocation of hitman and how that's not a thing. Right. So. Right. Right. Uh, yeah. It's just. Yeah. Right. You know, yeah. this is the silliness, and 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 this this section from Mark ten, and and here it is again. This is the devil's old trick. He took a section of scripture, uh, you know, that there no one who leaves house and brothers and mothers, fathers, children for lands for, for my sake, you know. So so it makes it sound all pious. But there, you know, they left out, and for the gospel. That that they they out of context, took this one little pick of a verse, just as exactly what the devil did, tried to do with Jesus and the temptation of Jesus. For you uh, one-year lectionarians, you'll, you'll hear this in the first Sunday in Lent, the temptation of Jesus. Um, and so, 
you know, here you have it again. The, the devil through the papists, again, is trying to promote this kind of hunt-and-pick religion uh, of, of self-chosen works, and, and, he, and he's misusing Scripture. When, when Scripture, all you have to do is quote this again. This is like when you run into people who say, well, infants can't be baptized, and then they quote, you know, Acts 2, and they're talking about Peter, how he says, you know, repent and be baptized, each one of you, and they're like, see, 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 this has to be an adult thing. And they forget the very next verse, which says, of course, <laughs> this promise is for you and for your children um, and for all who are far yeah. off. Just, yeah. This is the devil's old trick. Yeah, this, is what he, this is what he pulled with Eve. Yeah, this is what he tried exactly. to pull with, 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 with Jesus. This is what he tried to pull through the Roman Catholic Church on the Lutherans and um, still pulls this all the time. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, it's just it's ridiculous. Um, let's move on to 43 and 44. Clearly, they wickedly twist Christ's word into monastic life, unless perhaps a declaration that they receive a hundredfold in this life is in place here. Many become monks not because of the gospel, but because of extravagant living and laziness. They find the most plentiful riches instead of slender inheritances. Because the entire subject of monasticism is full of shams, they deceptively quote scripture passages, so they sin doubly. They trick people, and that too under the appearance of the divine name. And here, 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 of course, is the invocation. Not only are they cheating, um, you know, the coveting involved and the stealing involved, but then the violation of the second command, second commandment, hmm. that use, misusing God's name by attaching His name to it. And this is, of course, uh, all these self-chosen ministries and and things not commanded by God that come up as, you know, great churchly things that we should be doing. Uh, be careful, because if you're if, if you're tricking people and you're using God's name, you're you're as this says sinning doubly. Um, Pastor Pastor Hinton, you want to talk about these two paragraphs at all? Sure. <laughs> Go ahead. So, oh, gee, thanks. Uh, so so here again, this is the, one of the things that we like to do with with catechumens. We we catechists is is to to take them through some kind of situation. And, and show how the Ten Commandments relate, and very often more than one commandment is brought to bear. And, and here, you know, just just as you said, Pastor Shear, this is uh, this is this is this is a problem not only in itself. It's it's also a problem because this this lazy life is is being defended um, by the scriptures, and and so now not only do you have the problem of just the being lazy in itself and and taking pay for not working and that kind of a thing. But also now, you, now you've brought God's name into this because you've dared use His word to defend it. Um, one of the things that's very liberating about the actual gospel—not only false gospels that have come in the name of Christ, but the actual gospel, the kind, the, the Galatians one and two, the gospel Paul preached, the gospel of the, the forgiveness of sins won only by Christ's atoning death on the cross for the for the forgiveness of the sins of the whole world. And that salvation being given as a gift by grace alone, through faith alone, we don't we don't have to try to justify ourselves. We're already justified in Christ. We who believe in Him, we don't have to play these weird word games. We don't have to try to to make ourselves look more righteous. We already possess the righteousness of Christ, and and that's that's where our Christian life begins. And so now as we set about the task of doing the good works that God has appointed for us within these various godly callings, 
we can do so joyfully and cheerfully with a good conscience because our salvation is already taken care of. We don't have to add one tiny bit to, to, to perfect or complete our justification. It's already there. It's already ours. The, the battle has been won. It is finished. We have, we have righteousness that avails before God the Father in, in our Savior Jesus Christ. So now, you know, husbands, love your wives and care for them. Work at your job, whatever that happens to be, whether it's the kind of thing that people see or not. Do a good job. God sees what you do, even if men don't, even if your boss isn't the best, even if people don't realize what you do for them, God sees. So, so, so do those things. And, and do, them, do them well, because you, as a baptized child of God, bear the name of the triune God into the world. Uh, do so cheerfully, because you, you do them to serve God. Even if your neighbor hates you, you know that your God loves you, and, and, and he sees these things. So, so you don't have to, to, to twist your life into this, this weird trying to justify yourself by misusing God's, God's word business. You can go do the things that God has appointed for you to do, joyfully and cheerfully because you already know that you belong to him and no one could take that away from you and and, so, and it's 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 a liberating thing so so just to just touch on this briefly you know you're you're, you're much more adept at talking about our current cultural debates and so forth um is this like christian virtue signaling like trying to you know show that you know I mean does this happen in the church then that we're just kind of like oh well we are we are we are so there with you you know and 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 this kind of a virtue signal is that is that kind of what we're talking about? Yeah, probably. Yeah, I think so. You know, just trying to trying to use God's word to uh, to to boost your your reputation. Sure. Yeah. That, that, yeah. That's that's not that's not good. Uh, <laughs> that would not be good at all. And anyway. the thing of it is, all of this works maybe in the eyes of men, but God is not deceived. God is not fooled by any of this, and it and it is to Him that we that we ultimately will be, or it's by Him that we'll ultimately be judged. That is absolutely true. Not by the world, not by others, but by God. Lord have mercy. Indeed. All right. So let's look at paragraphs forty-five and forty-six here, quick. Real quick. They also quote another passage about perfection. If you'd be perfect, go sell what you possess and give it to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come follow me. This passage has stirred up many who have imagined that casting away possessions and the control of property is perfection. Let us allow the philosophers to praise Aristippus, who cast the great weight of gold into the sea. Such stories have nothing to do with Christian perfection. The division, control, and possession of property are civil ordinances approved by God's word in the commandment, you shall not steal. The abandonment of property has no command or advice in the scriptures. Evangelical poverty does not come from the abandonment of property, but from not being greedy, from not trusting in wealth, just as David was poor in a most wealthy kingdom. All right, so here you have private property guaranteed in the... Uh, Seventh commandment, you shall not steal. The Lutheran confessions invoke that to talk about this. Um, holding things in common. Um, you know, it, it's a beautiful thing that uh, the book of Acts talks about, that the first Christians did hold things in common and used whatever they had to help one another. Um, and I just, uh, studying a, a church membership book from Concordia Publishing House recently, he had a great section there about that, about how 
each congregation is actually a picture of, of some of that. Because, of course, all the congregation members hold the property of the congregation in common. From the, from the oldest member to, to the newest member, from the richest member to the poorest member, uh, the, the, the property of the congregation is indeed their property. And it's uh, held in common. It's a beautiful picture. But again, this is not commanded by God. Pastor Grevy, uh, we only have like a minute. If you want to touch on this idea of, of perfection coming because you give up money and, and so forth. Right. Uh, well, we're neither uh, we're neither commended to God because of monetary poverty, uh, nor are we uh, depraved of God because of monetary poverty. Uh, Abraham was a rich man uh, monetarily as well. He had a lot of livestock and and all of these things uh, that were given to him by God, uh, and yet he believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness. He was a righteous man. Um, so. You know, as Luther says, that we we don't uh, we don't become righteous by doing righteous deeds, but rather because we are righteous, we do righteous deeds. So um, this is really, you know, regardless of your state, uh, to be learn learn to be content in whatever state you are in, whether you're uh, whether you are in poverty or if you are rich. Um, if God has given you earthly riches. Don't trust in them. Uh, don't be like the rich man uh, in the in the parable of the rich man, the story of rich man and Lazarus. Uh, and if you're a Lazarus of this world, don't uh, don't despair. Uh, God does not cast you off because you are poor. Uh, so that's really the you know with possessions, earthly possessions, the proper disposition of our heart is just never to not to trust in them, uh, but also. Uh, don't um, think that we have to get rid of them if we have them either. Yeah, that's absolutely true. Um, it's it's beautiful how they get to the heart of the matter here. It's not the outward things like the property and so forth. It's the greed or the trusting in wealth. Of course, it's the heart that makes the idols by its trust and so forth. Both rich and poor alike can be just as greedy, and, uh, and that can be uh, just horrendous to their souls, rich or poor. So, uh, worse yet would be, of course, to give up property and then to trust in that for your righteousness, like they're talking about here with monasticism. All right, we have come to the end of our hour. We have a, had quite an enlightening discussion here on Concord Matters with an ass uh, that uh, we have been uh, discussing the Apology of the Augsburg Confession. Hey, listen, go to church, hear God's word, be people of the gospel, hear what Christ Jesus has done for you this weekend as we're getting ready for the holy season of Lent. Otherwise, listen in to Concord Matters next week, same time.